young Winston Churchill once wrote that nothing in life is so exhilarating as to be shot at without result. In Southern California, we can feel the same way when the ground starts to quake and we ride the earth like buckaroos until the shaking is over. The renowned U.S. Geological Survey seismologist Lucy Jones has studied our earthquakes and gone on TV time and again to give us information and comfort. Now the earthquake lady is retiring, but still kind of wishing in the nicest possible way for a chance to experience a big one. First, I'm going to use the phrase the big one in a different context. I want to ask you about another big one, which is the big lesson of what your years of science and research have taught you about human nature. I think one of the most more interesting things I've done in the last decade is really get um, more informed about what social science tells us about how people feel about disasters. How this, psychologists have shown that, well, I think it's they're obvious, people don't make rational decisions about the risks they face. Even in Southern California, we have killed more Southern Californians with landslides and floods than we have with earthquakes. Mm. And um, But who's afraid of the rain? I always try to remind people that you know, the week of the Northridge earthquake, more people died in an ice storm on the East Coast than in the earthquake. Earthquakes are not a big threat to our lives. They're a threat to our pocketbooks. They're a threat to the viability of the economy of Southern California. But you're far more likely to die on the freeway. And in fact, you're far more likely to be murdered than you, than you are to die in an earthquake. And They've actually been able to show what are the things that make us afraid. And it's uh, unpredictability, unseen, not understood, uh, dreadedness of the outcome. Uh, The one other thing that that pushes everybody's buttons is intentionality. So when you look at how we respond to the terrorist threat, it's nothing about the actual physical risk to your life. It is about the psychological damage that somebody's out to get us and and out to get us because of who we are. But earthquakes trigger all these buttons, and so we're afraid. So when I give the earthquake a name and I give it a number and I give it a fault, we're saying somebody understands what's going on here. It's and that's like reassuring. I mean, I remember when I first heard people say, oh, it's so important to see you. You're so comforting after the earthquake. And I'm going what? I'm telling you that there's going to be aftershocks and that's comforting. And yet it is because it's saying there's order to it. And I think at a fundamental level, we feel better when mommy tells us it's okay than when daddy does. The quake originated in Ringwood, New Jersey, where it measured in at 2.24 on the Richter scale. The earthquake likely occurred... People still use the phrase, what does it measure on the Richter scale? (laughs) Poor Charles Richter, the phrase is entrenched, but seismologists don't find it very useful anymore. Charlie Richter uh, took it from uh, the magnitude of stars. He'd been trained as an astrophysicist. He was trying to help people understand that what happened in the earthquake was not just what you feel. But what's happened now is people don't know how to talk about what they feel. So I I can't tell you how many people have said, well, okay, it was a magnitude 6.7 in Northridge, but what was it at my house? I'd like to see us, I mean, if I I could wave a magic wand and, and change how we talk about earthquakes, I'd get rid of magnitude. It's just a completely arbitrary scale that really doesn't mean anything. And since that time, we have come up with a way of measuring the earthquake. We call it seismic moment. 
and we actually proposed that we could create a, a unit called the Aki. Keiti Aki was a professor first at MIT and then at USC who created the concept of seismic moment. So we could have an Aki and a Kila Aki and a Mega Aki and a Micro Aki because the range of earthquakes from the smallest you can feel to the biggest we have in the world is about 15 orders of magnitude. And we try to describe that between a magnitude 2 to a magnitude 9. You know, let's actually, this is a micro Aki, this is an Aki, that's a mega Aki. That gives people better feeling of how big the difference is. And then we could reserve the simple numbers, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, for the intensity. I think it would remove a lot of the misinterpretation, but it's a very big change. And most of my colleagues go, but people know magnitude. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't think they understand it. There's a scene in the movie L.A. Story where a group of people is sitting at brunch, an earthquake hits, and Steve Martin guesses the magnitude with great aplomb, I have to say. What's this? An earthquake. How strong is it, Harris? I give it a four. The best way to guess the magnitude is to count how long it lasts. Because the, as you get to the bigger earthquakes, they last for a longer time. I can remember the Landers earthquake. Landers is 92, two years before the Northridge earthquake. 7.3 was the final magnitude. And I was lying in bed. I started counting. I counted up to, to 30 seconds before I got out of bed. So I knew it was bigger than magnitude 7 before I even got out of bed. How has technology changed your job, both that communication aspect and the science? Oh, it's changed it fundamentally. And the field has changed completely because of it. When I first started, I spent months pulling out magnetic tapes, downloading seismograms, reading the records to locate earthquakes. Doing that same paper that took me six months of work, now that part of the work would happen in a day. Actually, I have found Twitter wonderful because I can uh, go and respond on Twitter and just give the magnitude, say what I expect for the aftershocks, say what fault it is. And I'm in control of exactly how it's phrased. I have to get it down to 140 characters, but I'm sure I'm not going to be misquoted then. This is kind of a ghoulish question, I suppose, but is there one earthquake in California you wish you'd been or could be around to witness if you had the opportunity that would tell you so much? Oh, I want to see the San Andreas earthquake. I mean, I don't want to do it to people, but given that it has to happen, I really hope I'm still alive when it comes along because we're going to learn a lot about it. They still do have earthquakes in the east. You'd get a three-point-something in New York, and it would be blazing headlines. Well, uh, earthquakes in the east get felt over a larger area. So the earthquake happens on a fault, and that puts off energy just like snapping your fingers. You slip across your fingers, and you create a sound wave. So you slip across the fault, you create a sound wave that travels through the earth. How it travels depends on what the earth is like. Here in, in California, our rocks are young and relatively hot and broken up with lots and lots of faults. So just like a cracked bell, it's not a very good transmitter of energy. And you don't have to get very far away from the fault and have the shaking be a lot less. On the East Coast, the rocks are older and colder and harder and less faults. So when the energy gets put into the crust there, it tends to transmit it very easily. And uh, it we see relatively small earthquake felt over a much larger area. The Washington Monument got damaged. At 80 miles away from a 5.8. 80 miles away from a 5.8 in California, you might not feel it. 
Is there a really good earthquake joke or cartoons or cartoon you've got on the fridge or on the door at your office? I don't have any cartoons. Most of them seem to be the same joke I've heard, you know, 500 times. It's not my fault and that sort of thing. But uh, I did keep a sign for quite a while that I I saw at um, my stepmother's office. So my stepmother is a biologist at Santa Monica College, and uh, her office was destroyed in Northridge, and they had to relocate and rebuild the building. And um, somebody had put up a sign that earthquakes are the way the earth relieves stress by transferring it to those who live on it. (laughs) That one I kept around. Of course, earthquakes are great fodder for movies, and there are some that do a good job and some that don't. More that don't. (laughs) I, I did go, why are you trying to learn your science from a Hollywood movie? Do not take this seriously. Now, there are some that have worked with us and tried to get it accurate. And it, sometimes it's very frustrating to me because I think we could make a great, earthqu- a great movie while being completely legitimate in the science. The, actually, the one movie that I thought got that the best is, you got to go back in time, but the 1973 earthquake movie with Charlton Heston. I think we're going to have a really big quake, probably today, tomorrow at the latest. The whole damage part was what those disaster movies do. But the beginning of the movie with the scientists getting worried and going and talking to the mayor, and it wasn't that they were saying, I know an earthquake's going to happen. They were saying, something's happening and I don't know what it means. That was the realistic one. It's a, you know, and it's it's a funny thing and I think it's connected to how little we educate people about earthquakes. And if you look at the California state curriculum, the only mention of earthquakes is that in sixth grade, you learn that they result from plate tectonics. I think that our citizens need to know more than that to live with them. And I think the impoverishment of our movies is a reflection of an impoverishment of education. You spent time in the mayor's office, and you saw some of what you alluded to, the scientists and the engineers. And you saw the other end of that triangle, which is the politics of this, the lobbying and the economic forces that are at work. A large part of what I did in the mayor's office was getting out and talking with groups, talking with the engineers, talking with building owners, talking with the L.A. Conservancy, talking with the business owners, and saying, this isn't about whether or not you have to spend a certain amount of money on a building. This is about whether we will have a functioning economy after the earthquake. And when you put it in those that context and helped, took them through, you know, treat them as adults, give them the full information, we didn't end up with opposition. You know, the building owners and management association stood up with the mayor and said, yes, this is going to cost us $5 billion, but it's what L.A. needs. When you drive around and you look at things and you see things that we don't about what shape buildings uh-huh. are in. and The magic eyes of the geologist. The magic <laughs> eyes of the geologist. Do you get to switch them off or are they always on? They're always on, unfortunately. I remember being in El Paso, all these unreinforced masonry buildings, and I was like, they don't have earthquakes. I've got to remember they don't have earthquakes. They don't have earthquakes. And then they had a magnitude five two weeks after I was there. <laughs> it was it was far enough out of town it didn't actually bring down those buildings. Yeah, well, the places you can go that don't have earthquakes uh, tend to have either hurricanes or really bad snowstorms. I'll take the earthquakes.
you will be retiring from this job, but still working, still keeping your hand in. I have spent 33 years as a government employee, federal research scientist. And um, it's time to, to uh, have space for younger ones. And I've reached the point in my career that what really interests me now is implementing this work. I'm going to start by writing a book. That's the first thing. Uh, and uh, I hope to be spending time working with policy people, uh, with my fellow scientists about how to communicate, but really focus on the science communication. Because I think as we, as we further disrupt the, the Earth's climate, our population has to be able to understand the science or we're going to destroy the world. And you're going to work on your music, too. You know, when I was in college, I took Chinese physics and uh, Renaissance music. And I wondered at one point whether or not I was going to be go into the Foreign Service, become a research scientist, or become a classical musician. I finally decided that being a professional scientist and amateur musician was a better paying option than a professional musician and amateur scientist. Uh, and I was a better scientist than I am a musician. But in my adult years and in with the children now out of the house and more time, I've gone back to playing the viola da gamba, and um, it's very soothing to the soul. Lucy Jones, thank you so much, as always. Thank you for having me. Great way to, to, to wrap things up after 33 years. Pat Morrison Asks is produced for the Los Angeles Times by Pat Morrison. It's engineered and edited by Todd G. Levin. The audio comes from AOL, from the TriStar movie L.A. Story, and from the Universal movie Earthquake. I am Pat Morrison.